uh, in front of his son and his his mate. Yeah. And then so we flash forward One to year. a year, yeah. during which point the son is learning martial arts from the mate of his dead father, who's grown a fine grey beard at this point. Grey beard. It's the fact he's aged. That grey beard was meant to be later, but you don't have that. Yeah. Anyway, so, so he, they do some training stuff, and there's there's a not they don't even do a montage. That's the thing. They, they don't. Just they do. don't. They don't. They, they roll the credits over it like what real films do, <laughs> and instead of giving us a good synth pop score. Yeah, um, which we'll come back to later. Yes, you then get just little snippets of the training, and then oh look, he's now a ninja. Uh, who, and the actor playing him was introduced in the credits as the, the American, American Ninja, Ninja, which is a lie. It also tells me that the way they did that means that maybe the decision for Dudikoff not being a thief is perhaps not as amicable as look, because that's if you're doing that in your credit, that's basically giving you the middle finger of Michael Dudikoff. Uh, actually, no, you're just a cog in the machine. Yeah. It turns out there's a we're on another island. Yep, strangely similar island. Uh, a sprawling island. A which sprawling we'll island, to. yes. It's almost wide enough to be yeah. American size. Or, or the UK, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's canon, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, there's a tournament being there because there's a secret organisation again being held by some sinister chap yeah. called the Cobra, for reasons that That's aren't ever made, made clear, clear yeah. uh, who is really concerned about... In, inefficient hijack. It's true. He tells. It is the line of the film. Yeah, you've got all the kind of stereotypes of uh, totally not Colonel Gaddafi, totally not, not Robert not, Mugabe. None, not those people, but stand-ins for them. And he says, "Look, you know, I'll sort out things via a, a scheme which is never really clearly defined. It seems to involve viruses. There's a laboratory. Guys in pants. Yeah, there's there's basically a laboratory which looks rubbish." Right, and there's blue ninjas on our side, and then there's five dudes who spend the whole film standing on plinths, wearing nothing but their pants. And covered in some kind of cake to make them look like... Yeah, like they've I keep watching the film, and it's like, oh, when are they going to do something? They must be, like, super genetically engineered, or is it a throwback to the genetic ninjas in the last film? Or have they got special powers, or, or what? They only do one thing, is in the background of a bit of a fight scene... One of the guys has obviously had a little bit of a muscle spasm because he shugles a wee bit. Yep. And it is very distracting. You're like, oh, chapping pants, shuggled. So fake Dudikoff uh, goes to this island to compete in this karate tournament. Where he meets up with Curtis Jackson. And, and a douchebag. Yes. Uh, a comedy sidekick. Comedy sidekick. Because it is the curse of action films that someone along the line thought a comedy sidekick makes an action where's it come from I'm trying to think um, what action I, I'm the only one I can think of and the, the person I, I feel that we should blame is Clint Eastwood for having that baboon as no we'll not blame Clyde the baboon no but I'm saying people saw that and thought well we can't we can't afford a, a well trained baboon but we can get an oaf to be to give us laughs on our action films I would rather have a baboon or a monkey but well, that would cost more because you have to have animal human services and all that. Yeah, yeah, so they just thought we'll just get some oaf because Comedy, comedy Psychics ruin many a film. One film in particular that Comedy Psychics ruin is the 1995 Just Dread film. I was just about to say it because I watched that the other night. <laughs> I'm aware. Uh, which is not the best film, but would have been ten times better had it not been all about a comedy psychic and not about Judge Blooming Dread. Correct. He kills it and there's a lot of good bits. We digress. Let's get back to the American Back to American Ninja 3. So they have the little tournament. So it starts off with David Bradley, the American Ninja, Showing his skills. Not David Bradley, the actor who's the first Doctor in New Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, or maybe they are. Well, have have you seen them in the same room together? No. Until that's proven. Wasn't there another David Bradley? Was the 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 pinhead guy? Was that not David? No, it's Doug Bradley. That's the same thing. 
Could be a friend. Could be a friend. Relative. Ah, who knows? Anyway, he, he starts off by basically smacking the, the British uh, chap because yeah. a European champion. Mm-hmm. Gives him a bit of doubt to show his skills. Then they're out in the town. Douchebag's introducing him to, to random birds. Yeah, Kurt Jackson gets in there, takes one of the lady's hands, puts it in his, and just goes, hey. Straight away, he's yeah. there. He's got swagger, he's got game. We like him. He is genuinely enjoyable. You could, he has a fine screen presence. I think if they'd done a Luke Cage around that time, yeah. if Mark of Canon had, because had a lot of Marvel rights, yeah. you would have put him See, as Luke Cage. What the sensible Optimus American Ninja 3 should have been is to have just said to that guy, you are now the lead. You're yeah. no longer second fiddle to Dudikoff, you're the lead. And he could have had a sidekick. And that's all we needed. And you yeah. know, there, you killed all the ninjas. Quickly and easily. Correct. But anyway, no. David Bradley, or Sean as his character, he sees his master being taken away by ninjas in broad daylight because that's how ninjas operate. That's true. They're very stealthy. Yes, and so he goes following uh, ninjas. In a taxi. Uh, yes, yeah, see, so... <laughs> but he finds they get taken to what, some horrific CD hotel. Yeah. Gets taken up the stairs. He is then attacked by a couple of ninjas. Now, the first one... Kind of tries to attack him, but in a non-lethal way. He was, it does look like he was trying to slow him down. Yep. At this point, David Bradley kills him. Yeah. Which we took issue with, because exactly. at that point, there was nothing that was, this, excuse me, ninja's going in for a kill, he's just going in to fight you. That's acceptable. Second one tries to punt him off a building, so that's justifiable homicide for me. I, I don't, don't know, I don't know. I think an injured the dude. I don't think... And the situation was still in fact. I think in a court of law, though, you would have you would say that well, the building one, he I tried mean, to horse me off the building. You, you would know yourself, is that a real ninja attacking me in broad daylight wearing black, or is it just a dude dressed up? You just don't know yet. Uh, anyway, but you would still, in a court of law, the second one you would probably get away with. I'm not the sure. F- I need to read up on my ninja but skills. The first one, however, that's you've just killed, straight up killed a man. Yeah. Uh, then... There's a, a fight scene, they end up at the docks. He basically kills a couple of guys in an exciting underwater scene. Because underwater fight scenes are always exciting. Exactly. Then goes back to uh, find Curtis and Dushbag and tells them what's going on. Seeing that he saw his master there, he goes to the authorities to try and save. And, and a rare display of common sense in an action yeah, film. Uh, I guess the captain, we know he's a captain because there's a large sign at his desk that says captain. Goes to see the Minister of Interior. We know it's the Minister of Interior because there's a panel on the door of the house that says Minister of Interior. Very large letters. It's true. So he, he does the, the sensible thing of speaking to the relevant authorities. Yes. And goes nowhere. Just so that will justify the action to come. Mm. It turns out though, he didn't actually see his master. What? There was a young lady who was in charge of the ninja, mm-hmm. or normally in charge because they've been supplanted and they're now loyal to the cobra rather than her. Mm-hmm. So she's playing along, but she she was disguised as the master using her female ninja skills. Or a mask and a wig. And her female ninja skills. Because it does... It does specifically point that out, yeah. yeah. To be fair, they research their uh, stuff. They it's true, it's rigorous. Two more ninjas attacking uh, Curtis, Sean, one-on-one. Yeah, one at a time. Uh, at this point, it becomes clear that Curtis is the one that's taking out more of them. Yeah. Because he's, generally, he's taking out three or four or five to the one or two that Sean's taking and the one that Douchebag's taking. Yeah. There's a story there that's so... The thing is, there's not even really a... It's there is a no story. story. There is no story. Because you, you think, because you see the scene in the lab early on, it's going to be just like American Ninja 2. They're going to genetically engineer ninjas or superpowers and... The guy's called the Cobra, so maybe the leader, he's a secret ninja himself. No, nothing happens. Nothing happens. All it basically is is that he's infected these dudes on the plinths with the pants, 
And he, us, and but he's training something, so he needs the strongest person there for yeah, reasons. Yeah, that's, that that's where yeah, he's organised a tournament to get the strongest ninja so that he can inject the strongest ninja and get his ninja powers out of him or something for... no. You know what, I didn't even go back to what the kidnapping's yeah. about. Certainly. How, um, will this, how will this help you with kidnapping people? I don't know. I know, or inefficient hijacking. Exactly. There was, I think there was a whole strand of germ warfare being there. It's like, rather than do that, just, you know, virus bomb people and stuff. However, it kind of gets lost. Turns out the female ninja is actually a, a good egg, but she's just trying to stop things. But she's played along with her well. Yeah. She then teams up with Curtis just, and Co. Yeah. There's a fight. Basically, then, but the film becomes an unre- unremitting death fest. But the good news is that the comedy douchebag gets shot off an arrow once and dies very quickly. What is Doesn't that? even get a speech. It's because it's straight to the heart. So. Yeah. Even so. <laughs> good law. Uh, although the guy wasn't firing, firing his arrow yeah. properly. Curtis Jackson kills a lot of people. Yeah, there's an evil scientist. He shoots chat. them as well, and yeah. throws his, uses his gun as a sword, Aye. which was quite a good move. Uh, basically, whenever Curtis is on the scene, it's great. When he's not, the film sags. David Bradley is not a Michael Dudikoff. No, is which is it's just really not a sentence you should ever be uttering. You don't usually pay for that quality of acting to turn up. No, it's there's not even an exciting proper like final fighting because eventually Doug Bradley and and uh, perhaps the best scene. Um, because he's been made sick by this point but his green light shines down basically he's the antidote has been taken away so he doesn't have a hold of it at this point and he's going to die and the cobra's just like ah well uh, sod you and so what he does is basically goes into some kind of ninja trance like I just had flashbacks to uh, G.I. Joe and the Arashikaki kind of stuff that Snake Eyes no, used to I, do. No, I was just more thinking it was like a Powerland version uh, of the Incredible Hulk TV show because uh, the green light shines on oh, the star display mood light. and then like, he rides up as well oh. and he's like, and he's he, like oh, he's going to go for it. He's going to do something amazing. And you think the man known as the Cobra will totally turn out to be some kind of magic ninja but no, he's just a guy in a suit. And so then he basically just ninjas the, the illness out of him. Yep. through Ninja because that's how it works this. Uh, and then leathers him looks like he's won Curtis comes in he goes oh, I've got the antidote he goes oh, I don't need it he's like you any of you and then the Cobra suddenly comes back to go ah yep. and then American Ninja scalps him he drops that's and it. then they walk out and it's film uh, well it's kind of you have the um, the lethal weapon I'm too old for this kind yeah. of thing yeah next time give me the you Fire robbers or bad guys yeah, just, always ninjas man always ninjas ha 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 film and then the most horrific assault on the census It's happens. true, because you, you think it's over. So the, the first credits roll over the scene of the police being outside, and you yeah. think, oh, something's going to happen, and it just goes to black, and the song begins by George S. Clinton. And some women. Uh, the Cobra Strikes. And uh, if it's on YouTube, I will link to it in the notes for this, because, well, basically, I'll, if I suffered, other people will suffer. It's like, it's like it makes you appreciate Stan Bush uh, and his uh, songs for Kickboxer. Yes, uh, or his, uh, or even Ground Zero and all that. Yeah, doesn't make you. It doesn't make you. Basically, a guy enough. singing like I sang, which is badly about how the Cobra's going to strike. Yeah, uh, the Cobra, the guy who did nothing the entire film, both strike. Yeah, basically, it's off-key falsetto. Uh, it's brutal. So. It's American. We've only got one more American Ninja Four. There's only one left, which is on Netflix, just called American Ninja Four, I believe. Yeah, but the good news is Dudikoff is back for four. But Curtis Jackson is not. No, apparently not. Can't wait to watch that soon. So you've got Dudikoff and (laughs) American Ninja from V teaming up. Sorry, the American Ninja. Uh, That's what he's called. uh, Anyway. Well, moving on. So let's do the thing. So um, let's do an exciting installment of Ralph Reed Star Trek. Yes, so... Yes, it's been teased for two episodes, this. It's like an arc plot. It is an arc plot, isn't it? So, uh, let's talk about Star Trek Prometheus, Fire with Fire. 
by Bernd Perplis yep. and Christine Hamburg. Indeed. Uh, there's some, let's, let's read the back cover blurb so you know what's. Give me the book. <laughs> my, it's my book. I wanted to read it. You're going to read that a second, okay? I'm going to read the back cover blurb to you, alright? There's some points of interest for this book as well. A mysterious terrorist organisation has carried out several attacks against the Federation and Klingon Empire. Tensions are running high in the region already crippled by conflict. The perpetrators are tracked to the Lembata Cluster, a mysterious region of space whose inhabitants, the Renio or Renio, or I don't know how to pronounce them, regard the true Alpha Quadrant's powers as little more than conquering tyrants. The Federation are desperate to prevent more bloodshed and have set their flagship, the USS Prometheus, which is an error because it's the flagship's Enterprise, into the cluster to investigate the threat before all consuming war breaks out. Want it now? Yeah. Okay. So, it's an exciting cover. It's a star base, by the looks of it, uh, getting blown up, and it's a bit of a cheese wedge. It's a cheese wedge, yes. A version of a starship. Yes. With, is that like split level in the cells? Well, it could be. Like an an X-Wing? Well, no. Uh, Let's go through the points of interest about this book first. Now, if you're in the UK, it used to be that um, basically basically the books in America were done by Pocket Books, which is the original Simon & Schuster, and have been that way for a few decades now, in terms of original prose fiction. And generally in the UK, these were printed by Titan Books uh, through the 90s and early 2000s. And obviously at some point, um, Titan or Lyra lost the licence or decided it wasn't worth their while to print them here. Um, also coinciding with Star Trek being a bit of a decline in terms of popularity. So we've had them generally imported just from pocket books. But as of this one, November, they're now printed by Titan again in the UK, which is quite interesting because these are the first Star Trek novels to be printed in the UK in about 20 years. Uh, are they actually? Because it is still US and Canadian pricing on Yes, it, but it says Titan Books on the Spine and the Indicia, and it also has different font and slightly different characters. So, cover. does it mean potentially that they've got the license from Pocket Books then? It basically means they've got the license to print them here. It's, a, you know, it's identical. The only thing they changed is that the Pocket Books usually credit the cover designer on the back and Titan Books don't, which is a bit of a shame. Um, so that's a point of interest. The second point of interest is that um, outside of the US um, and the UK, sort of the biggest fan base for Star Trek is in Germany. German fans have got their own industry of doing fan films and audios and the likes. Uh, it's also a big enough fandom in Germany uh, where they have quite big official Star Trek conventions that happen there as well as unofficial ones. So it's been a bit of a surprise that we've never really had any sort of uh, German input into the spin-off fiction. So what's a bit different here is we've got two German authors. Now it's not clear, uh, it's not been clear in the book as to whether they uh, wrote in English or whether they did it in German and it was translated by themselves or whatever. It's not clear. But it's actually nice to see a bit of the international fan base actually get a little bit of an inroads because the Star Trek novels are pretty much a closed shop right now. Um, it's the same people writing them all the time. So a bit of a different voice. So this is in fact the first of a trilogy and what's different is it's not three months in a row. This is in November. Second one's May 2018, and third one's November 2018. So that's the points of interest. Quite a gap. Between yeah, I think it makes sense because um, this is what they tried to do before with other kind of spin-offs that aren't based on a TV show like Seekers and uh, Vanguard and stuff. Is that um, generally you only get one Star Trek novel a month, so there's only one slot a month. And I think if you're trying something new which is mostly original characters and a mostly original setting, I just think commercially it probably doesn't make sense to put them out three months in a row. So I can understand why they split it up with the usual output. 
So, uh, what's different about this as well is that currently the novels are in, set in 2386 in the 21st century, except for Voyager, which are four years behind. Uh, this is set in 2385, so a year behind the main thrust design. So it's kind of, it's, it's still for some of the 21st century stuff, but it's kind of off on a wee tangent, sort of, here's some things that were happening over here, while the main stuff was happening over there. So, now you'll know what the Prometheus is, Andy. It's a ship. Do you remember that one episode of Voyager called Prometheus, in which uh, the Doctor, an holographic Doctor, beamed himself to another Federation starship? Which had the other uh, hol- the Doctor the played by... Uh, and Andy Dick played it. Now, unfortunately, um, that's an episode we can't really watch anymore. If you want to know why, type Andy Dick actor into Google and you'll see he's been accused of various unpleasant things. So, his character is, funnily enough, not included in this novel. Hmm... So anyway, so but but the exciting thing of Prometheus is what was exciting about it, Andy? What did it do that was different from other Starfleet vessels? Yeah, You're waving your arms. I had the other themselves. What did they do? I can't remember. Right. Okay. Now maybe, you know how you, 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 you've, you've got Federation of starships and they yeah. fly about like one bit going whoosh, like ah. that, right? Or you've got ones that can separate the saucer sections. Yeah. They fly about in two going whoosh. But really, when you separate the saucer, that's where you get severely population. Because it's just a lifeboat, basically. Yeah, it's just a lifeboat. So it's not actually to have two ships stacking you. The Prometheus had multi-vector assault mode. Multi-vector assault mode is when the starship splits into three smaller starships with three different engine rooms in the cells and, and lasers and stuff. And each section has a battle bridge. Okay, so there's three different sections. Yes. But there's only four in the cells. That suggests potentially that one of them has two in the cells... <laughs> And they each have an SL each. And also, which it all kind of works out. It works out. It works out fine, right? So, I obviously, we. I went for six and just put like an SL at the top and one at the bottom. That would just be silly. Yeah. <laughs> it just wouldn't work. Anyway. anyway. So, uh, so, obviously, all this time we thought, hey, let's uh, let's finally do the booth So, the idea is that. Um, okay, you've got a saline race and they believe in the harmony of the spheres, right? And and they don't transgress your theories. Do you remember? Do you remember Pythagoras from high school? Yes. Right. You know, I had these kind of theorem yes type stuff, but the uh, the thing of the thing, the, the sum of the angle for the hypotenuse. Yeah. Do you know much about Pythagoras in the real world? He was proper crazy. Look him up. He had a cult called Pythagoras, and he believed in the music between the spheres and all that kind of stuff. And I believe, keep this clean. I believe it's been mentioned in Doctor Who spin-off books before. Probably yes. And I'll give you something, but he and his followers also imagined that there was something poking out from the sun towards the earth, which may have resembled a piece of bodily anatomy unique to one of the sexes. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so basically, you've got space Pythagoras, right? And he's a terrorist chap, and he's like, ah, I'm going to destroy you all because you've been upsetting the spheres and the harmony, and you know, we're not, we're not, you're coming to infiltrate our world and this kind of stuff. Um, uh, anyway, and also it's a bit of a kind of like what Star Trek's always done is try to do kind of commentary in the world today. So basically, that race they've got lots of sort of names which are kind of Muslimish, right? Uh, yes, no, it's okay. It's not. It's not racist um, because part of the story is all about how people are judging the whole alien race, um, the Muslim type named uh, Pythagoras chaps, as to basically. What they kind of says is, well, because one of the terrorists is blown us up, they must all be terrorists and we must all get them, basically. Which is quite kind of relevant to the modern world, where sadly, when atrocities happen, some people who are in positions of power, who shouldn't be in positions of power, say, well, if one of them does it, they're all going to do it, they're all going to do it. So it's not like a kind of Star Trek way of basically going, no, 
uh, just because one person does it, it's not the whole race. In fact, it's nothing to do with race at all. So it's actually a nice wee message in there, which I quite enjoy. And uh, one of the Starfleet members on the Putheus is from the same race as well. So it's a kind of he's got a bit of racism for people on the ship, kind of going, "Oh, you're kind," they're all like, to get us and stuff like that. Again, something which is sadly happening in society today. So that's good. Um, and so it's mostly unknown characters. So it's Captain Adams. We've never met Captain Adams before. He's in charge of, of going and finding space protagonists and stopping his evil terrorist scheme and working out. It's not the race at all, it's just this one lunatic. And he's assisted by the chief engineer, new character, Jenna Winona Kirk. Now, do you remember how Captain Kirk had his brother Sam that was in that one episode for one scene because he was yeah. dead on the floor because yeah. the flying pancake things were killing him? Well, yeah, his kid, no, is it? Uh, child, man, boy in the episode, right? So, Jenna Kirk is James T's brother's great-granddaughter. So, great-granddaughter. That's it. Uh, yeah, I was flicking through the book and noticed another another familiar name uh, near the end. Yes. So I, I speak, of course, of uh, Spock. Yes, because a big surprise halfway through. See, you're told about this kind of emissary that's going to come and help with the diplomacy of going into the star system to negotiate with the the people and also to try and prove to them that we don't believe you all did it, it's just one lunatic, whatever. So Ambassador Spock appears because by this point in the books they've moved them off Romulus, so they haven't blown Romulus up yet. And there's a bit of wiggle room for that because in the Star Trek 2008 movie you aren't, you aren't actually given the date for when Romulus blows up. Okay, so it could be any time really, Falcons live a long time, so whatever. But they've moved Spock off, so, so he's now an ambassador at large. But Yes. So... Romulus gets blown up. Which it's not been blown up yet. But we see that in Nemesis. No, we see it in Star Trek 2009. Ah, right. Yes. Yeah, seeing as your timelines are all... Where's your continuity? Yeah. So basically, they're, so they're kind of... They're putting the pieces in place for Romulus yeah. blowing up, but it's not quite there yet. So he's now in the Bastard at Large and he helps, right? And yeah. one of the most exciting bits of the book, you have to wait over 300 pages for the multi-victor assault mode to actually finally kick in. And they kind of shoot the And Bastardock, he, he, he used to be in Starfleet 100 years ago, so he gets to help pilot one of the ships. Very exciting. And of course, uh, the Klingons are involved because they're, they're being assaulted as well. So they have to send the Klingon ambassadors to the Federation. Do you know who that is? Well, do you remember how Worf had a son, Alexander, right? Yeah. And then for a while, Worf became an ambassador. Well, he was succeeded by Alexander, his boy, who's now an ambassador. So he comes along as well. Mm. Yes. So, um, to get to that, and then the cliffhanger is, oh, the us have got away, we need to go further into the star system, so come back in May to find out what happens next. It's great. Is it? Yep. Enjoy it. Is it? It is. Okay, what I would say is, it starts off, here's the thing with spin-off fiction, right? A lot of people who write spin-off fiction forget that every book or comic could be somebody's first yep. to do with that thing, right? Or somebody might, you know, I don't know, be in a library or whatever and go, oh, a spaceship thing, what's that? And also, to be honest, a lot of people don't know who Star Trek is right now. You know, find people under the age of 20 who know what Star Trek is. Probably don't, because it's not a big thing at the moment. Uh, so I pick up. So it does that kind of old school thing that you used to get, particularly like sort of Terra Sticks, Doctor Who novels, where the first chapter to is explaining who everybody is, like what is Starfleet, what is the Federation, what are... So that's kind of nice, you know, a bit different. And the writing does take a little while to click in. There is a sequence on Deep Space Nine, which we could have done without, because it was really nothing... No need for that. This, of course, is the new Deep Space Nine. Do you know what happened to the old one, don't you? It got blown up. Well, remember, Chum? So it's the Federation Starship. So it's, no, it's not Terok, nor it's It's, it's the Federation base built by Brian and Nog. And with uh, Old Man in Coma in it. Oh, he's died. Yeah, I know. He's died. Now. Is uh, he? Because that book's set. Oh, no, no, no. He died a couple of years before that. Right. I know my continuity in the novels, Chum. Don't question me. Why did they let Kira be in charge of it? 
Well, now, the thing with Kira, right, is that Kira went on a big journey through time, through the wormhole, um, because, you know, remember there was the other terrorist that caused the destruction of the Terek Nordic Space Nine, right? So yeah. during this whole battle, Kira gets shot in the wormhole, everyone thinks she's dead, but she's not. She actually went forward in time and backwards in time for the reason the prophets have yet to fully explain it in all of us. It's a big, long plot line, right? Is it going to tie into Cisco's Dark Phoenix Child? It looks like it's gone that way, but also, do you remember the other plotline they had for a while about this Bajona man who comes to the wormhole, uh, and actually he's either from the distant future or the distant past, it's like, ooh, what's going on there, what's going on there, and Kida falls for them, and it turns out that her memories are actually, her memories are the memories of someone else that were given to her by the wormhole aliens, which went travel through time. Yes. Okay. So there we go. So, um, so Star Trek novels, kids, accessible. So that was it, fire, but this is quite accessible, actually, because it doesn't require knowledge of all the previous novels, because it's mostly original characters. And it does explain what you need to know at the start. So if, if you're if you're not a big Star Trek novel buff, whoever you may be, and you just fancy, or are ninety nine point nine 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 percent, or just fancy picking up a, ran, a random novel, I would say it's a good start. And again, nice to see the German fan community actually get a bit of representation in the, the novel. So so that was that. Correct, David. So okay, so after we've got. Uh, the world of Star Trek spin-offs. There's a yes. curious area of Doctor Who spin-offs. Yes, an area which is getting a new lease of life in these modern times. So Doctor Who went off the air in 1989. Other than a television movie in 96, that was it. Um, except, of course, for two radio series. But in terms of on vision Doctor Who, you were starved. This was an earlier time, more innocent time, shall we say. And something came around that was kind of eventually killed off in about sort of the late nineties when Big Finish started doing actually licensed Doctor Who material and audio. Is that you had a, a patient, a movement towards making spin-off videos, uh, which were direct to VHS, so they were never broadcast, and uh, they were usually sort of based slightly on Doctor Who or not about Doctor Who, but using Doctor Who actors. So you would have things like Downtime or uh, Shakedown which was when they would get the license to use certain characters, so like the Yeti or the potato head people, the Satarans and so on. Just explain, it's a curiosity of the way BBC and Doctor Who had been run at the time was if you created characters, you actually had the rights to them unless you'd... It wasn't a common practice to sign the the rights away. So things like Brigadier Alistair Lethbridge-Stewart, yep. the Daleks, for example, the most famous one, yes. with the nation, the nation of State having a... Now, thankfully, no one was able to get the license to use the Daleks because the Nation of State probably would have said no. Um, so there were those kind of videos uh, that would sort of keep fans going during that time. And, well, to be fair, they're, they're not perhaps, well, good. <laughs> um, they have curiosity value. Now, they've started to kind of come back in the last couple of years. There's been a new production uh, of Probe. Yes, right, Probe, <laughs> which stood for something I can't remember. But basically, it was Paranormal Investigations by Liz Shaw. Uh, Caroline Johnson has left us, so they hired another actor and they did a special of that this year, which is like the first new one in about 10 years, I think. And uh, also, there's uh, one based on the demons, the witch character, the White Witch. The White Witch of Demons End. White Witch of Demons End. Or Hobbs End. Hobbs End. It's one of those, anyway. So it's starting to come back, so there's new stuff coming back, and also a lot of these old ones and nineties have been reissued on DVD. So Wartime, which was the Benton one, uh, Downtime, Downtime 2, which are the ones featuring the Yeti, and the Fear. So they're starting to basically get pumped out again to an unsuspecting newer generation of fans who go, oh, I didn't you know these existed. 
spin-offs with Doctor Who and Vision. These will be great. Ho ho! So, so that was the kind of Premier League of them. There was yeah. a there was a sub league where they would go. Well, we haven't really got the license to do it in Doctor Who, but the videos sell enough to get by. And a lot of people making these had sort of ambitions to, you know, get jobs at the BBC or so on and so forth. So they would do things like um, this one. We're going to talk about the Airzone Solution, which has Doctor Who actors in it, but isn't actually anything to do with Doctor Who. So, what is the Airzone Solution? Well, uh, BBV, Bill Bags video was... No, Bill and Ben videos, actually. Thank you very much. Yes. yes, I forgot. I just um, Was kind of like the main player them in real time were made all the Keith Barnfather Keith Barnfather yes right they were the two kind of main ones that were making it <laughs> that was Nick Susie Briggs, the dog shaking her legs Nick Briggs, who's better known today uh, for fans of spin-offs as the guy who ran Big Finish from about 2006 after Gary Russell went on to do other stuff so he makes talk to audios but on television you'll know him as the voice of the Daleks the Cybermen the Jadoon the Jadoon the uh, Nesting Consciousness Nesting Consciousness Dice is in one episode but not when he came back the Cybermen and a few other bits and bobs and the chap in Torchwood Children of Earth well done pretty good uh, so before that time he sort of worked particularly with um, Bill Baggs on his videos and was involved with things like the Auton Trilogy and so on so the Arizona Solution and the big selling point at the time before we tell you what it's about was here's an hour long special it's got four Doctor Who's in it. John Pertwee, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, as well as Nicola Bryant, who was Penny in the show, Michael Wisher, who was... Davros. Davros. And... Uh, Gary Russell. Gary Russell, who, well, he wasn't kind of known to Doctor Who. Child fans. actor. Yeah, child actor, that's right. Um, so, so that was kind of selling point. There's no one else we get to see all four Doctors act together. So even though they aren't playing the Doctor, it's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of cool, it's kind of nice, kind of interesting. Uh, Colin Baker had been doing his own spin-off called The Stranger, in which he was not at all playing Doctor Who, with Nicola Bryant, who was not at all playing Perry. So there were kind of weird rights infringing ones. This one, to be fair, isn't trying to play that game of, oh, they're actually Doctor Who, but we're not going to tell you. They are, in fact, original characters. So, what was the plot of The Air Zone Solution? Because Andy hadn't watched it before, until today. <sighs> and finds himself wishing he hadn't. So, it's set in the... In the future, as is the wave of these things, yeah. in the near future. Yeah. Uh, basically, it's a nice, worthy piece is the best way to describe it, because yes. it's, it's got a good message about environmentalism and all that underlying. It's, there's no ozone layer, so basically there's a level of... sort of, So that it kind of kicks off with uh, video footage being narrated by Peter Davison, who in this thing is a journalist, and he's exposing a company called Airzone Solution, who have nominally been charged and working. The government have paid them to help clean up the air. People having to go about with ga- with uh, breathing masks on for var- last large parts of the day, uh, and they're saying basically it's toxic. He is of the opinion that they're actually at it, that there's something not quite right going on, and so that's the thrust of his video investigations. You see a little bit of it. And they get it stopped, and he's showing it to a friend of his or, or mentor figure, who Oliver Truth Truthy or whatever his name is, played by John Pertwee, mm-hmm. uh, who basically just says, "You're you've not got enough details yet. That's a half-assed job at this stage. Yeah. Go sort it out." So he then contact is contacted by Sylvester McCoy, who's a, an environmental activist who you see briefly in one of the video clips of this program, uh, is saying right I've got a contact in Arizona we're going to who's passed yeah. him some details to allow him to get into the building indeed 
he gets into the, the Airzone building, uh, sneaks in, sits in one of their offices, which just looks like a nondescript office. Like he's so, on the dog? Uh, so we'll go back. So he sneaks into one of their buildings, which yes. is just a nondescript office, uh, sits at a computer, uses a security disk he's been given to log in and start getting details. And, oh look, he's in a room where there's a security camera, pointed pretty much right at him. What were the odds? Thank you, Susan. Yeah. You slept through all of this, Susie, which I envy you for. Because <laughs> 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 the dog is a shudder. That's a disgust by. We're trying to headbutt my laptop. Trying to the laptop. So. So the security come in uh, and will basically kill him. Mm. And as he dies, his partner, Sylvester uh, McCoy, has a vision, and the previously unintroduced. Uh, there's a weatherman chap played by Colin, Colin Baker, Baker yes. very light, airy, good TV weather personality. Uh, gets a vision of all this going on and, and passes out. Yeah, how mysterious. Yes. So, then your story goes from there. So it's it's all a big. It's 1993. So to be charitable, X X Files had started. I think had started in the US by this point. Yeah. Uh, so it's cons- and again conspiracy theories in the 90s after Oliver Stone's JFK were all the rage again. So it's just, oh, it's a big conspiracy, big business tying up with the government to try and uh, sort out. Yeah. And so the, the whole... It goes all like that. It's just... The, the, the thing is, the ultimate thing is, the company are working on a solution, yep. to be fair. Yes, but their solution, it's an evil solution. Isn't it? Because what they're saying is, we're not going to compromise our current standards of living uh, to survive, but we can't reverse the, con- the conditions. So we've been experimenting on people and basically give them gills that let them breathe toxic air. Yeah. And the woman in charge reveals this at a conference, and obviously, even the evil, evil scumbags go, "Whoa, hold on, that's not, oh, that's not too right. far there," and it gets stopped. Uh, it's just so tedious is the problem. There's n- conspiracy theory uh, drama has to be well paced, very taut, because you're relying on ratcheting up the tension to the tension up to a big reveal, and then. Either the conspiracy generally gets away with it mm-hmm. in the ble- in a bleaker sense, or your heroes triumph and win the day. Yes. And but again, they've got a a victory that's earned. This doesn't really have any tension. Sadly, not. I mean, you, you can always think with these kind of spin-off videos. It's worthwhile bearing in mind when you watch them, whether you like them or not. Is they were made for a market that doesn't exist anymore, which is uh, straight to video or playing at conventions towards a few hundred, maybe low thousands of Doctor Who fans, starred of visual material, who wanted to see their characters or even just the actors doing something. Yeah. Um, so it was not for broadcast, it was not broadcast quality. And I wasn't trying to be, to be fair. Uh, it was just based on the sales of the video and then they would move on. Um, but sometimes they would try and put in bits of fan service that were perhaps strange. For instance, in this one, they went, ha, wouldn't it be fun if Colin Baker and Nicola Bryant, who were the doctor and the companion on screen, were in fact lovers, literally in bed together. Ooh. That is a topless scene. Uh, it is unfortunately topless Colin Baker. So. You also get to see in a shower scene as well. That's true. Yes. Uh, the thing is, it's not that you can gauge the performances being good, bad or indifferent, because... I charitably say no one's really phoning it in. No. I didn't see John Pertwee rubbing the back of his neck at any point oh, during it. I was it. disappointed by that. I thought he'd have been doing it furiously. Uh, well, the only reason why John Pertwee's in it is because he had heard this was being made and phoned up the producer and said, when am I being in it? So they brought him in a couple of scenes yeah. just to get him shoved in there. Uh, 
it's it's just quite dull. It's the thing. It's that. Yeah, it's it's one of the more. I would say it's one of the more well-known ones for fans that were around at the time, just because it did get quite a push, and it was again a, an attempt to move away from just we're going to use Doctor Who with the Doctor Who. Yeah, so love. you can see the attempts to go there, but they were defeated by several things. First of all, a tiny budget, and it has that sort of early nineties very cheap video look. Yes. To be fair, a lot of broadcast television of that time has. Yeah, it's also as saying the the pacing. It's written by Nick Briggs, who... Has went on to do many great things. Yes, uh, Dalek Empire. Indeed. Uh, the first Star Guys. Yes. Other things from that big finish. Yes. And of uh, course he has the voice of the Daleks on television. it's just... The tension isn't there. It doesn't ratchet up enough. Uh, it also has Alan Cumming in it. Uh, a couple of years before he was in gold at that. Yes. I, I think he'd still been in the high life at this point. Yeah. Uh, because that was on when I was in Perth, so yeah, ninety two, ninety three. So he'd been up at this point. Uh, so many years before he went on to ruin Nightcrawler and X Men Two. Still lies in his future. Yes. Yeah. I, it's just it was tedious. It's mm. the, the the biggest problem about any kind of material mm. is if it's bad, fine. But this was just wallpaper, really. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the curiosity of these things I mean this isn't as I said some of them have been reissued on DVD recently and actually appeared in actual shops I've seen them uh, yeah. in HMV I mean I wouldn't judge them against no anything there that's an unfair comparison to make judging them against normal broadcast but even just on its own merits even some of the other ones I watched while I haven't enjoyed them they were more entertaining yes this one was just very tedious again not one of Nick Briggs better efforts yeah so I mean if you're curious about these kind of things as a newer fan or someone who wasn't there at the time YouTube is your friend uh, yes this one this has not commercially been re-released this one so you're not doing anybody out of a penny and astonishingly up to 15,000 people have watched this on YouTube well no souls. only 15,000 people have clicked I've on clicked it clicked on it we don't know how far they went along this is true this is true um, but one of the big puzzles about it was that at the time you know Peter Davis was in it and he was still on telly quite a lot yeah I, again that's the thing is he, out of all of the the actors in Doctor Who, uh, Patrick Troughton notwithstanding, yeah. is he was the one that didn't have a problem. He was out of Doctor Who and into, into other stuff straight away. Well, he was still doing two sitcoms at the yeah. same time. He was doing Doctor Who, so he was he had a career. He wisely never was as associated with it as other people have been. So, what was he doing in this? What black men material had? Hopefully nothing bad. Ah, uh, yes, in, in this day and age it is. <laughs> and it's, you sort of see Michael Wisher in it, who was generally quite an entertaining presence and on screen. He, he generally turned up a lot in these um, films, as well as he turned up a lot in things the like audio the audio stuff. visuals, which was, the, which was running parallel to these videos. Um, they're about the same people. Um, they worked on them as an unofficial um, Doctor Who audio series. Yeah. It's, if you read the book, it's... Justice Serve yes. by MIWK books. It's out of print, but you know. Uh, they may re- reprint it yeah. again as well, to imagine. As they talk about it at length and they do mention the fact that Wisher could not get proper commercial work at this yeah, point. Yeah, at one point they talk about how it's such a shame that he was with these kind of, well, as they describe themselves, amateurs in his living room yeah. making a play and he's like, but there's only work he could get. So the shame it sometimes happens you forget sometimes you go oh that's that's so and so on that TV show because you like the show or you've watched the episode over and over 
you think, ah, oh, but at the end of the day, there's, most actors are resting most yes. of the time. Yeah. So there you go. But as part of Andy's journey, because he hasn't been exposed to all these, it was interesting. I had seen it before, back in the day. But it was just to, to see how it held up towards someone who hasn't seen it and apparently didn't hold up. Again, just saying just dull no. I, I think charitably the problem is also although it's been a couple of weeks for uh, you uh, gentle listener it did follow on the back of the disappointment of American Ninja 3 it's true perhaps if there had been some, some quality entertainment to balance it I might not have been as harsh a judge however I do say it just as a piece of drama say you're looking at building that tension up and ratcheting up your conspiracy to oh here's your big reveal yeah. and even the big reveal was just fairly flat yeah Oh well, but that was interesting. As I said, it's from a different era, these kind of things. Oh, yeah, what has been superseded by, I think, well, really, is only, I'd say, Star Trek's really the only community that does anything remotely like this now with the, the fan films they're doing. Yeah, that's oh, a different beast. That's a different beast because the Star Trek fan films were always kind of, well, they were like attempts to kind of fill in gaps or yeah. dress up and have fun, to be honest, a lot of them. Uh, a lot of them don't really aspire to drama shall we say yeah but it's probably the only fandom say got anything close to it because any other fan films are uh, well yeah I mean yeah. in terms of volume and efforts and even ones that will involve like well actual professional actors popping up in cameos or small roles they're like Star Trek we do get things like G.I. Joe there used to be a thing for G.I. Joe fan films not really so much now but more sort of like five ten minute sort of fight scene yeah. Thing, this type of things you would get like Batman films and stuff like that but in terms of actual doing whole episodes of films pretty much started be really Doctor's the only one where they've actually had them professionally done as in for sale yeah so you don't have to give it that well what a downer to end on uh, yeah just what a, what a way to kick off 2018 well it can only get better it's true I've Hopefully, next episode we might track down that missing Doctor Who. Yes. Sorry, D.R.D.R. And of course, American Ninja 4 lies in the future as well. It does just, we have to finish the set. Indeed. And again, the return of the Dudikoff. Indeed. So, uh, as as ever, this is usually the bit we meet to say rate, review the podcast, whatever. Well, if you want to, feel free. If you don't, no pressure. Uh, comments or feedback is always greatly appreciated. There is a Facebook page. Uh, so just go Startup Podcast, uh, Startup Pod on Twitter. Uh, those of you who actually know us uh, either online or in real life, you know where to find us to bother us. Uh, oh well, that's all good. That bit comes ha- it. Uh, have a nice day. Uh, thank you, our canine correspondent, for popping up and ruining things. And oh look, it's a funky. Here she comes again. Yeah. Bye.